And God is kind of like saying, I have always had mercy on Jerusalem and I'm going to rebuild it. Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends. Oh, who should I start with today? Let's start with Tracy. Good morning. And Amy. Good morning. And Karen. Hello. I don't know how to mix it up. I get into such a rut that I have to stop and think about it. It's like, how do you do random? I don't know how to do random. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, guys, it's my, I think it's my allergy season. This late October. August, early September. I, it's like I don't really suffer from allergies, but I just have like a couple, two, three weeks this time of year where I just constantly feel, ugh, you know, just stuffed up and burning Calvin's, eyes. Calvin is miserable right now. Oh, yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't get them bad. Every once in a while I'll have a day where I'll have to take a pill or something like that. But it's just all the time. It's just this, this constant sort of just blah i don't know i feel bad for people who have allergies year round and i don't know how they i don't know how they do it so i have to tell everybody that antihistamines aren't a one pill wonder (laughs) you have to take them multiple days in a row Mm -hmm. Mm, oh interesting okay yep so usually at least i usually tell people buy a box take it for a month if this is your your time of the year There's your your free medical advice from our resident physician Tracy. I love it. <laughs> it's good to it's good to know medical people because you can they love it when you call them and ask them for free stuff. Yeah. Well, we got some this morning, so right on. <laughs> there you go. Pearls, pearls. Professionals love love giving away their their hard earned uh, knowledge for free. <laughs> 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 no, it's all good. It's all good. It's a give and take. I actually don't mind if people call me asking for electrical advice. It's just like if you don't know how to, if you if if you're gonna be unsafe about it, don't try it. <laughs> okay, good, because I was starting to feel bad there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go and uh, try to do my own research on on prescription medicine. So. Uh, which probably th- actually throws people like Tracy so that we don't show up in their office going, I need a prescription for this. I took right. this many of these. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a great network, though, because I don't know if anybody told – I don't know. Maybe we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but my bulldog got bit by a wasp. Mm-hmm. So its face got all swollen. Half of its face got all swollen, and then it got this big old egg-like thing, or it was – now it's – smaller than an egg it's probably like a marble but it was it was big i want to say it's probably baseball size and so of course in my infinite wisdom i was like oh i'm gonna give it some benadryl and then i turned around and i was like you know what let me call amy <laughs> Amy, am i gonna kill my dog now given a human medicine she's like no, no. didn't i tell you like double the dose yep she was like you didn't give him enough i'm like really <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bulldog race. Wait, I take fifty. <laughs> uh, I don't even take fifty half the time. <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday, yesterday, I was um, 
So the church where I go has been remodeling their sanctuary. So we've all been meeting in the gym while we remodel the sanctuary. Well, it's just about done. Next week, we're back in it. And um, so it's kind of exciting. But yesterday, there were several people sitting in the new sanctuary, and uh, they were testing out the new pews, and they were sort of making jokes about, you know, are they are they comfortable enough to be comfortable, but not so comfortable that everybody falls asleep? <laughs> and, and then one of the guys goes, um, well, some people fall asleep all the time during church anyway. It doesn't matter what you have them sitting on. You could have them sitting on a pile of bricks, and they'd still, they'd still fall asleep. Mm-hmm. I wonder why that is right? Well, I know the answer to that because of the stuff I've studied my whole life. And so I just sat there and I was like, do I bring it up? Like I could actually answer his question. So, <laughs> and? so one of the guys looks at me and he goes, why do you have that look on your face? And I was like, uh, mm, okay, do you actually want to know the answer? And he goes, there's an answer. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I, I proceeded to explain it to him. And they were like, are you serious? Like the whole little group of them is all leaned forward on their seats going, are you serious? That's how it works in the brain. I'm like, yes, that is how it works in the brain. They all thought it was very interesting. Which is what? We're recording a podcast. This is neither the time nor the place. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> but with it, inquiring it, it, minds, what I know. It is interesting though. And it has to do with the different layers of the brain and the languages that those different layers speak in that individual. Everybody's brain is a little bit different. And that's that's just how it is. <laughs> so some people <clears throat> sitting and listening to a an out loud presentation will keep them alert. And for some people, it will relax them. And for some people, it will put them straight to sleep, which is why people who present up front are encouraged to do it through multiple senses. Because if you stand up there and you only speak to one sense, you know, mm-hmm. auditory, some people will not be able to track that. Oh. So oh, now what, what were you saying? Good morning. What? <laughs> <laughs> I say now that I'm we've, 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 we've put our we've put our audience to sleep now because <laughs> we're just talking. <laughs> and, and and okay, to throw something in on that, like a friend of mine out here actually listened to a number of our podcasts and described us as having dope conversations, right? But then <laughs> didn't, didn't keep watching it because there was nothing to watch. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, hmm. well, we've been described as dope, so um, I guess that's cool. Sometimes I feel dopey. <laughs> I did last last episode. I felt very dopey because we were talking about no, 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 no. The last episode I re- okay. Here's here's a little inside baseball for I, no, I don't play baseball. Inside baseball for our listeners. I just edited Daniel twelve mm, two days ago, <laughs> and if you listen to Daniel twelve and were as confused as I was, uh, I, I don't feel bad because I I, I felt very dopey. <laughs> In Daniel 12. But hey, we are past Daniel 12 now. Our one-stop shop is not just medical advice and and uh electrical and veterinary and, and veterinary. And if you know if you are uh, feeling a little um no, Bewildered. I won't say I won't say crazy. Bewildered. <laughs> Bewildered. <laughs> 
<laughs> at any rate, we are here for a purpose, so let's get into that purpose. We're going to be talking about uh, we're going to start talking this week about the book of Zechariah. And I got to say, I you know we've said this a few times on the podcast where we have all been through the Bible a few times, and I was reading things this week and going, I have no memory of this. It's yep. amazing to me how many times I can go through the Bible, read through, and you know you try to do the cover to cover, you do the Bible in a year stuff, and until you really, I don't know, until I really put it into the context of when things happened, it just didn't click in my brain. Yep. And Zachariah, I'm just going, how did I miss this stuff before? There's some really amazing stuff in this in this book. So I'm kind of excited about Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, the book of Zechariah takes place uh, about the same time as, I guess, as we were getting towards the end of Daniel. We're talking about, well, I got to take that back. We, well, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's taking place the same time as Daniel. Yeah, second, be- year of, second year of uh, Darius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we've been reading, well, what did we read? We just read Haggai. That was about the same time, specifically this same time, because there was a lot of stuff going on. Well, Haggai was like, what, two chapters? And it was all taking place in uh, that second year of Darius. This is taking place about that same time as the book of Zechariah. Uh, Sorry, the book of Haggai. Take a breath, Matt, and speak. Okay. (laughs) As Karen says, think, then speak. I don't do it that way. Pop-tart. Right. Form the sentence, then speak. Yeah. It <laughs> doesn't work sugar. with me. <laughs> Too much sugar. <laughs> ah! um, so it begins with God giving a message. And it's a message that we've heard many, many times. Basically, return to me and I will return to you. But this time he adds a little caveat into there. He says, don't be like your fathers who ignored this message. So th- we're talking to people now who have come back from Babylon. They're now living in the Jerusalem area again. And it's like they're already starting to slip. They're already kind of sliding into that area of complacency. And God is having to remind them, come back. Don't be like your fathers. Don't ignore it. Come back. It's just been that constant message that God has given throughout the entire Bible of, of returning Okay, I have a question. Yeah. Maybe got a little bit mixed up. The second year of Darius, how long have they been back from Babylon? That is a good question because I'm thinking, I was thinking that somewhere, maybe it was in Zechariah, not Zechariah. See, I keep saying the wrong name. Haggai, maybe? Or maybe, what else have we read recently? Ezra? For some reason, there was a 20-year mark in my brain, but... I don't know if that jives quite right. Well, I'm going to see if I can find it while we're doing Yeah, see if you can find it. Because for some reason, I know it's been a significant amount of time where, you, where you're going. Because I think, because didn't they get there? It seemed like they almost maybe almost immediately started building the foundation. Yep. And then they kind of abandoned it for a while. That's Yeah, they went and built their own houses. And then God was mm-hmm. like, what about my house? Yeah, and so I think that's the context we're in here. Where it's like, okay, you guys kind of started and then you blew it off. Of course, they had a little opposition coming from uh, some of the some of the surrounding leaders and stuff. But that beginning of the book, it continues with how the fate of their fathers was a testament 
that God did what he said he would do. And so I think what this is saying, this is talking about how God said, I'm going to take you away and bring you back. And because of what the forefathers did, Israel got dismantled. Uh, the people of Jerusalem and whatever was left in Judah got taken away to Babylon. They all got their toys taken away, so to speak. And and so it's like, remember your what your fathers did and don't do that. So I show something here, which is um, it looks like. So the original decree goes out in 538 and then now it's 522. So is that 14 years? Let me. Uh, 16. 16 years okay yeah uh so, so well, according to this bible his prophecy takes place uh in 520 522 something like that yeah some that 20 year mark isn't too terribly far off with uh yeah. with that actual building so so anyway that's the way that this book begins is this reminder and then it it moves into an, uh, an interesting vision. In fact, a, a, a series of visions that we start to have. But I guess I guess one other thing preliminarily is uh, I, I found it interesting in my study that Zechariah is a priest as well as a prophet. And that's so unusual. Like usually the prophets are speaking out against the prophetic. I mean, the, the priestly class because the priestly class kept compromising. And here's Zechariah, who's one of them. So that's that was kind of interesting. Yeah, we see a few different things happening here. We start getting a succession, succession, yes, that's the word, succession of little images given to Zechariah. We don't seem to get like these broad, grand visions like, like um, Daniel was dealing with, or even like Ezra or some of these other prophets. And I don't know, maybe I guess Zechariah is considered a minor prophet, right? We have the major prophets and the minor prophets, not meaning that they're less important, just that they're, they just have a smaller impact of sorts, I guess. But this first vision we're given, again, it happens in, seems that same year, just a couple of months later, the 11th month of that second year of Darius. And this is another one where the, the specific dates given make it interesting to me because it's like somebody is really finally um, – maybe they finally come up with a way to to record dates in a better way. And now we're, uh, we're, we're finding specific dates given to when these specific things happen. Okay, I found something interesting. So we read Ezra recently, right? Mm-hmm. And remember how in Ezra the surrounding people were trying to thwart the rebuilding – process yeah okay so yeah. there's this interesting verse in ezra 4 uh this is ezra ezra chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 then the people around them set out to discourage the people of judah and make them afraid to go on building it bribed officials to work against them and frustrated their plans during the entire reign of cyrus the king of persia and down to the reign of darius king of persia mm -hmm. so that's what's going on. And then yeah. remember the, the letter that the surrounding people wrote to Darius and they were like, hey, these people are rebuilding and we're really concerned about your kingship and we want to make sure that they have permission to do this. Right. And so then Darius had to dig around in the old records and go back and find where Cyrus had said, yes, you can leave. We're going to fund you. Here's what we're going to do for you. Go and do this and gave them his outright permission to do exactly what they were doing. 
And what did we decide that was? Was it 20 years later or so that mm-hmm. that had happened when we talked about that before? Mm-hmm. I think that's where that 20 year time Thanks. period was stuck in my head. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's that's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. So things are sort of getting ready to start. So this vision that Zachariah is having uh, is interesting. I don't know. It, it had me thinking some apocalyptic stuff that we might see later, but it's not exact. Uh, he, he sees a man riding on a red, red horse among some myrtle trees. And then there are some other horses behind him. There's red, there's brown, there's a white horse uh, behind him. And this angel is talking with Zachariah and says, I'll show you what they are. And he's told, these are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. Uh, And basically, we have walked and the earth is resting quietly. Now, I don't, for an explanation from an an angel, um, that wasn't a great explanation, in my opinion. Did you guys get something out of that that I did not? I guess one thing that jumped into my mind was just... I love that imagery because it says that they're going to and fro throughout the whole earth. And so it kind of reminds me of that business with Job mm-hmm. and, you know, here's, there's, there's something going on in the background that we're not aware of. Like the, the awareness of the spiritual world is brought to light just a tiny bit in this vision. And I really love that. I love it when we get an insight into the fact that there are spiritual beings among us. Mm-hmm. I got Yep. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I remember in grade school, a friend of mine, we were in fifth fifth grade together. And I remember him telling me one day that um, he had, he had uh, been dreaming about his guardian angel. And it made him curious. And so he asked God if he could see his guardian angel. And then the next night, he woke up from the middle of his sleep. And here was his guardian angel standing beside his bed like visible and i was like dude are you serious you can do that Mm. that would be interesting and i asked him i I was like well i mean like what did it look like and he goes i don't even have words for it i don't even have words he goes all i can say is it was magnificent and he was not a magnificent word kind of a kid he was like throw me that football you know and then making fart jokes kind of a kid so (laughs) i i was kind of dumbfounded by that like he he just sat there and he had tears in his eyes and then he goes magnificent and i was like whoa okay wow i would i would love to get a glimpse of what's going on around us in the spiritual realm huh yeah i think i sometimes would be fascinated and sometimes i'd probably be terrified if you can see i think that's terrified would probably be the best word because i think too well while you have the angels there you know like we said we're not privy to those spiritual battles that are going on for us on a day-to-day basis so I think that's what to me would be the terrifying part. Yeah, yeah. Seeing what <laughs> if we could see what is being thwarted on a on a regular basis around us, things you know, if we could see the attacks that are coming our way and that are being held off, uh, boy, oh boy, I think we would uh, <laughs> we, we, we we our eyes would be opened. I mean, in more I ah. guess more more way than one. But wow, I mean, that would don't be. Don't you don't you think it'd be fascinating to sit down and have coffee? Well, I don't know if guardian angels drink coffee, but I was going to say oh, sit down. Coffee with your right with your guardian angel and just say, "Tell me some stories about my own life." Yeah, <laughs> it'd be interesting to t- see what they tell you about. And we probably we probably sit there a lot of times going, "Oh yeah, I did oh. it." That and, was, and, oh. 
Yeah. yeah, and then here am I prancing through my life, like, you know, entitled and annoyed <laughs> that things aren't going my way. And like, oh, why doesn't anything ever work out for me? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Do you remember yeah. that scene in the Screwtape Letters where the the main character f- sees his guardian angel and he all he says is, oh, so that was you. Oh, mm. yeah, I do remember yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Man. I'm going to read that book someday. Oh, it's you have good. to read that book. It's so good. <laughs> I've never read that. I've read. I, actually, I've... the best the best rendition of it, if you like audiobooks, there's one where John Cleese, you know, from oh. Monty Python reads it. <laughs> it's awesome. It. Yeah. The best uh. rendition of it I've ever seen, by the way, is a certain fellow that you and I both know, Matt, named Daniel. Oh, yeah. He does a live performance one-man show of it. It's amazing. Ooh, really? And he has gone around to local churches. You know, they, it's for pay, of course. But he has yeah. gone around. He wears a purple suit, purple wingtips, looks like a total sleazeball, and acts oh. out and does the entire thing. And it's just, it's breathtaking. Huh. Mm. That would be interesting. Yeah. No, I've read I've read some C.S. Lewis, not a lot, of course. You know, I read I read all the Narnia books probably later than most people. I I didn't get into them until about high school, and then I'm reading them. Am I getting toward the end? All of a sudden, my brain exploded. I went. Aslan is Jesus. <laughs> oh my goodness, they're so wonderful. <laughs> but I've read uh, Mere Christianity, which was fantastic. Uh, well, I've listened to that one on audiobook, but yeah. So, uh, but anyway, this is not a C.S. Lewis podcast, and we're <laughs> we're twenty minutes in, and we're not even past the first part of the first chapter here. We may not get through all of our <laughs> intentions today. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, but that but the the horses to me, the horses we were reminding me of the horses of the apocalypse down and when we get into Revelation, four horses, different colors. Just uh it sparked a you know set off a spark in my brain. I don't know if that's what they're supposed to be, but it's just what it made me think of. Um maybe it is. I don't know. So uh, but yeah there that walking to and fro that's usually talking about um a lot of times that's talking about claiming the land you know abraham walked walked the area and that was how he claimed it and then the devil did and the devil did in in job yep claiming claiming the earth walk to and fro on the earth and that was kind of the way they would claim their property and so What's the like, deal with like a bunch of horses with no riders did you guys notice that mm-hmm. i noticed it but i don't know what it means so weird. Yeah, that's why I'm a little disappointed in this angel. Because when he says, I'll tell you, I'll show you what they are. And then ah. I, I'm left going, um, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't I don't get it. But um, I guess I guess the good the good takeaway from it is kind of like Amy said, where we're we're just given some assurance that there is stuff going on, whether this is intended to be literal or not. There There's stuff going on and we're not just left here on the planet all by ourselves. when we move on the angel an, yeah an angel of the lord now this is interesting because the angel of the lord to me has always been sort of like a, a lot of times it's talking about this it, this pre or what do we call it a pre-incarnate nah, that's not the right word probably but jesus before jesus was jesus does that make sense anyway yeah, anyways i know what you mean <laughs> the angel okay. the angel of the Lord is talking to God. So in my mind, this is in my mind, this is maybe Jesus talking to the Father. But he says, How long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem against who you were angry these 70 years? And God's answer is 
I am zealous for Jerusalem. Well, that was a that was a phrase that came up uh, in a previous episode when we were reading, where God was saying, "I am zealous," or I think some translations said, "jealous for Jerusalem." Uh, so you know, this idea that God doesn't care or is just angry all the time—that's really a misnomer because He's here. He's like telling you, "I do care." Uh, you have no concept of how much I care. What happened to do not let the sun go down on your wrath? He said he was angry for 70 years. Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, did I miss something? I'm looking, I'm frantically looking at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, said, well, yeah. Was well, 70. Yeah, let's see, 70 years is not a long time for God. So, you know, we look, but when you look back on it, it'll be a little drop in the bucket compared to, you know, an eternity or especially for a being that lives outside of time completely. And, and, you know, I don't know, wrath. I I have a bit of a hard time thinking of the time in, in Babylon as being wrathful because sure they got taken away, but it doesn't seem like they really had a terrible time there. They just didn't get to live in the promised land. Yeah. And God's response to this is he says, well, I was only a little angry. (laughs) Well, (laughs) <laughs> for yeah well for and they dealt with siege and cannibalism and uh yeah yeah well but he didn't destroy them all so i anyway, I, 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 well, I, I i i don't i mean i get where people say well like you know the god of the old testament was this god of anger like i get where that comes from you know, how can you not get where that comes from when you when you talk about passages like this or when you talk about like taking the Israel, you know, like even even the ancient promise to the Israelites of like or to uh, the ancient promise to Abraham of like your descendants will be held captive in a year for, in this country for 400 years because, you know, the because I'm not because the wrath of the Amorites is not yet come full. It's like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get where the idea comes from. I'm not saying I buy into it. I'm just saying passages like this are where that idea comes from, that the God of the Old Testament is a God of anger and wrath and smite and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, and see, that that is interesting. Verse 15, where he says, I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease. And then he says, for I was a little angry and they helped, but with evil intent. So it's like who he's really angry with. And the way I'm reading that would be he's angry with Syria. He's angry with Babylon. He's angry maybe with Egypt because whether they knew it or not, they helped God with the corrective actions that that needed to take place. But I remember reading somewhere else where it's like they did it with a malice and they did it with you know, more force maybe than than was needed, and they they really almost enjoyed doing it. Yeah. I'm sure they did. These were their longtime enemies, and when God was, you know, that when God was acting for them, the Israelites just couldn't be conquered. But I thought it was interesting. So the horses, right? Like this mm-hmm. this group of horses with with no named riders, they go out. They've gone throughout the earth, and they found the whole world at rest and at peace. At peace, right? And then it says, and then. So I'm going to read this out of NIV, which you can contrast with your new King James there. I thought this was interesting. So starting in verse um, 14, I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, for I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. 
Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of a slightly different wording than what you were reading there in the New King James. Like, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease. For I was a little angry and they helped, but with evil intent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he used, like he usually does, you know, very, I think sometimes God reaches down and directly intervenes with his own supernatural power. But other times he uses the events occurring here on earth, the forces here on earth to accomplish his will, mm -hmm. including us. You know, like you hear, you hear that saying all the time, like the church is supposed to be God, you know, God's uh, body, Christ's body. Like we're his hands, his feet, hands and feet. Like he's the head, he leads, and we're the thing that is here and does all the work. So does his work. And so in some cases, God reaches down and uses these nations and these other kings. And who, who what, what king was it? Was it the the king of uh, Syria, where he said it was he was described as the sword of God or something like that? Sounds right. Yeah. And you know stuff like that. But in this case, he's jealous. He's jealous for Israel, for Jerusalem and for Zion, and he's upset with the nations that he allowed to do his will because they got too excited about the work. Yeah, and that is that is an interesting idea there where where yeah, where these these others were doing what God needed done and then God is is just like, but you guys took it too far. That was not it was what needed to happen, but not not so bad. No, not not to that extent. Okay, I get what he's saying, but like these are not God-fearing nations, right? So right, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's an interesting way that God that God works. I'm sure there was a whole bunch of antagonistic glee from the surrounding nations watching Israel get get taken down. And if you think about what the even when Cyrus let them come back and told them to start rebuilding and funded the whole enterprise, they didn't get too far before the neighbors are trying to interfere again. And and now we know that went on for 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess it's a it's a good lesson for us, you know, to stop and think when we stop and we, we, we start talking about persecution. American Christians do not know persecution. We we sometimes we think we do You know, over the last few years. There's been goofy things like talking about uh, the war on Christmas. Um, and, and, you know, we, we want to talk about we we act like we are just so tread upon by by secular society, which, you know, to to a degree we are. But we have no idea what real difficulty is. You no, know, we're snick we're snickered at by society. That is not the same thing as persecution. Right. Yeah. You once know, Star Starbucks putting out a, a happy holidays cup instead of a Merry Christmas cup is not persecution. I'm sorry. Right, right. That's exactly you, you took it right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was gonna talk about was the Starbucks cup that created so much uh uproar a few years ago. And and it's like, boy, oh boy, people, if you go to the other side of the world, uh you you get your head cut off, literally. Literally, get your head cut off. And here we complain because our because our snow our uh, Starbucks cup has snowflakes on it instead of I, I don't know what was it Santa Claus I don't know I don't know you know it's just goofy it's just goofy the things that we we consider persecution here we should we really need to uh, pick up our pull up our big kid pants and realize that we've still got it pretty good and if we're gonna get if we're going to get uh, in, in a twist now, boy, what's it going to be like when things really get bad? But anyway, God says, I'm returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it. He says, my cities shall again spread through 
prosperity. The Lord will again choose Jerusalem. And so, so when this question is asked to him, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem? And God is kind of like saying, I have always had mercy on Jerusalem and I'm going to rebuild it. It's all going to, it's all going to be big and impressive again. Well, and the way he words it, it shall be built. Like it's a, it's a done deal in yes. God's mind. Like, yep. We're going to do this. It was temporarily interrupted, but we're going back to we're going back to work now. Right. Okay, so then we get another vision. They just come boom, 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 one after the other here. We get a, a vision of four horns. And my first thought, and maybe Amy, you have a little insight on this that I don't, but the four horns, my first thought is, are these the same four horns we saw in Daniel chapter eight? Wasn't it um was it the goat? Or was it, yeah, wasn't it, wasn't there a goat that ended up with horns or there was, there was something in Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. It was talking about horns going in the four directions, the four right. winds. So that's and... Greece. But, but I, I don't know because I, I thought the same thing. I thought, are these referring to the same horns as what Daniel saw? But I really couldn't find anything that, that made me believe that it really is. Right. Um, this seems more like, uh, God is, has just used these other world, you know, these worldly powers to scatter Judah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm thinking, okay, it is prophetic. And generally speaking, horns are kings or uh-huh. kingdoms. Right. Uh, so it definitely still seems to be the point here. These are, and we're told these are the horns that have scattered Judah. Uh, so who all scattered Judah? I mean, we had... Let me just, I mean, well, let me Babylon, put my, Assyria. I was going to say, let me put my, 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 my layman's eyes on it, thinking Babylon, Syria, or should I say us, Syria? I always get the two mixed up. Um, well, Assyria Egypt. before Babylon, yep. and then Babylon, and then Medo-Persia, but we're, we're just there in yeah. history. Like, we so, haven't, we haven't gotten to Greece yet, so... And yeah. those four horns that you're talking about, those were Greek. Like mm-hmm. that was the four divisions of Alexander's kingdom. So, so I, I don't know. Like I couldn't make those fit in the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, there was there was that part that made me think, boy, are they the same? And then there was one that's like, well, no, maybe this is something different, and it could be talking about. It could be talking about it the whole different time period. Or, you know, it could have been talking about. I mean, I'm thinking Babylon, Syria, uh, maybe Egypt. I mean, there was just all kinds of stuff going on that kind of all worked together for spreading Israel out from the promised land. And, of course, what? We've, we're now missing 10 tribes entirely that got that, that got spread around after, uh, was it Syria or Assyria that that took the northern kingdom out? Of Israel, Assyria, Assyria. Okay, so anyway, I thought maybe it's talking about some of that. I don't. I don't think it was intended to be like an earth-shattering vision. It's just sort mm-hmm. of being all these things relayed to Zechariah. I was like, okay, remember this, remember this, remember this, and showing it in this way. And then maybe in some ways, these visions are here to remind us of little things like horns are kings and horses. You know, when we see horses later on in Revelation, maybe we're supposed to think back to Zechariah and go, oh, yeah, remember those horses before? 
That's kind of that's kind of the impression I was getting from a lot of the things, some of these things here anyway, in Zachariah. But, is, what I was left with at the end of that was more just like, um, you know, that these that they got spread to the four winds. They got spread, you know, over the earth by these powers that came in and invaded mm -hmm. um, and their kingdom was broken up, essentially. And it, it was never the same. Like it was never right. again a, a powerful political kingdom. Right, right. Yeah, so maybe, maybe four. Maybe I'm 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 dwelling on that number four too much, where it's really like you say, it's just they got spread in every single direction, and when you consider if you consider that as the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the winds, yeah. So just kings around all worked together and spread, spread Israel all over the place. I think that, that, you know, that rings true with me. We're going to go with that, Amy, because I think you're pretty smart. <laughs> I don't know about that, but but I couldn't find anything else about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's not much there to be taken from it. It's just uh, I think mm -hmm. that probably is it. I, I thought the beginning of chapter two was interesting. I lifted up my eyes and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, where are you going? And he said to measure Jerusalem and see what is the width of it and what is the length? Um so I just kind of a now that seems super symbolic to me, like, you know, it's like getting a grip again on what will be the limits of the kingdom of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious what you guys got out of that. Well, it immediately immediately had me thinking I could remember echoes in my brain of something similar. And I, I came up with Revelation 11 one right away. But I was thinking there was an Old Testament reference to this before, too, where somebody else had measured. Jerusalem. Yes. Yeah, it's in Revelation. I'll have yeah. To, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't remember right away and I never and I never did manage to go back looking for it. But I was thinking that there was an Old Testament um mm -hmm. thing there as well of measuring measuring Jerusalem. But I could be I could be remembering wrong. I might just be simply remembering uh Revelation. I'm going to look that up here real quick. I don't think it bears super heavily on 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 the conversation, but um, I just thought it was interesting that that was where my brain went immediately. So Revelation 11, 1, I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there, but leave out the court. So I don't know. I mean, so where we'll are you? You're in Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. So, but what I remember I, Revelation 11. 11. Okay. But he was—he's measuring the temple. He's measuring. Yeah, that—that that is. I mean, a, it's very much an echo of this, though. Mm-hmm. See, and my thing was just—I—I I looked at that as far as just taking account of everything yes. that's going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wasn't. You know, I don't think I looked at it as far as like a physical measurement, but actually to see, okay, what is the state of Israel right now? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because it, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. For a spiritual aspect of knowing the exact dimensions of the physical Jerusalem, not in my mind, it wouldn't. And so I think I think you're right. We're talking about what is the what's the spiritual measure of Jerusalem. And then verse five, I think this mm -hmm. is interesting. For I, the Lord, will be unto you a wall of fire about it, and I will be the glory in the midst of her. So so he's he's gone around and said, OK. Um, I'm taking the measure of Jerusalem now. I'm looking again at the, it's almost like I'm forming a boundary around you, which is not 
necessarily a limiting thing, but also a protective thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what I'm getting from verse five. He's saying, I'm going to be a wall of fire around you, which he had been for them back when they were, you know, wandering in the wilderness. Like he was, a, you know, what is it? A pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And so he's, he, this to me is assuring as well as, as what I said previously, like he's getting the measure of them, but then he's also assuring them I'm with you and I'm going to be your protective wall. Now, did you, were you getting the impression that this is all talking about physical Jerusalem or more of a spiritual Jerusalem? I kind of held on to that part for myself. Like I know sometimes a, a verse will really speak to me and verse five really spoke to me because I feel like that is where, um, you know, like we are spiritual Israel now. And maybe at this time in history, the original meaning of the text was, you know, hey, I'm going to protect your city. But um, but as for me personally, when, you know, sometimes a verse will jump out it and you're like, all right, God's still there and he's still um, my wall of protection, my friend, my my God who loves me and cares for me. Yeah, see, I was taking it more in a spiritual sense, too, because, well, I mean, he talks about he says Jerusalem will be like a town without walls because of how many people will live in it. And so that was a little reassurance to mm-hmm. me of uh, if we are talking more of about a spiritual Israel and, um, you know, what we call apocalyptic literature, which doesn't mean end of the world necessarily, you know, destruction kind of things, but just sort of the way things will pan out in the future with, uh, with with the spirituality of things, to me that was almost like saying there's going to be a lot of people saved. You know, we have sometimes we th- we think that oh, there's only going to be this tiny little bit of people that are saved. And to me, this is like saying there's going to be so many people saved. It's going to be like a city without walls because we're just going to spread out, and God then will be that wall of protection around them all. They're not going to be you're not going to be able to confine them within a space because because they're just going to spill out. That's kind of the way I was seeing it. So, so, and then yes, that wall of protection around us, keeping us safe. So That's that such was... an important point, Matt, too, because I think, you know, especially Jesus always says things like, you know, many sheep have I who are not of this fold. And, you know, when he encounters the centurion, he's, he basically scolds Israel for their lack of faith because this guy has such deep faith. And, and, you know, over and over again in scripture, we see this idea that God is reaching out to all people and, mm-hmm. and the, the fault, like the key fault of the Jewish nation was they could only see themselves and, and they were like, you know, we're God's people. And God's like, no, no, no. The point was I wanted you to be a unique and special people so that other people would see you and say, um, Oh, I, I want to know their God. Yep. We yeah. want, I want what you have. Exactly. So then we move in, we move on into where no message flee from the land of the North escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. And uh, I wrote a note to myself: Is this allegorical and prophetic as well as literal? I mean, they have now been told that they can leave Babylon. How many of them have stuck around? You know, got comfortable in Babylon, uh, and versus how many left? And now God is actually calling them to come out of Babylon. Got me thinking, uh, Revelation again: Come out of her, my people. Uh, we're or in Revelation, Babylon is is presented as a oh, what do you want to call it? Uh, uh, 
a compromised Christianity, I guess you could say, where outside influences have come in and have become so commonplace that they're just accepted. And so to me, it's like this was a not just a not just the get out, get out of physical Babylon, but get out of that area of of what was the word I used? Compromise. Learn what it is God really is looking for from you and and set aside the things that have just been uh, brought in uh, from the outside. Well, I guess this is the flip side of what is Jerusalem. You know, if God says um, you your city won't even have, you know, Jerusalem won't even have walls. I'm going to be a, a wall of fire surrounding you and keeping you safe. Right. It's the, it's the flip side of that same question. What is Jerusalem? We're we talking about a physical place. Maybe mm-hmm. at certain times in Earth's history, it's a, a specific place. But are we talking about a state of being? Are we talking about a relationship? Are we talking about a call, you know, a call from God to do and be a certain thing? You know, I think I think that question has two sides. And Jerusalem or Zion is one side of it, and Babylon becomes another side of it. And I think that they hold spiritual significance across the ages, partially because at one point in time, they held literal significance to people on earth, right? Mm -hmm. It helps draw the illustration. See what I'm getting at? Yeah. So I was along the same lines of, you know, as we've kind of taken the journey through the Bible, that it was always the if then, if you continue down this road then this is going to happen and now it's saying you know what you're getting a a reset or a redo right now and we're rebuilding the temple we're restoring jerusalem but you cannot compromise like you did again or you know what it's going to happen all over again Mm -hmm. and i think that we're we continue to see that like we always said it's like you know they have all these opportunities and they just came out of exile now we said, what, 16 years ago? And he's having to remind them again, do not compromise. Do not be part of the world again. Yeah. And so that's something to remember going forward. You know, Babylon being, yes, a physical, literal place, but also uh, a spiritual allegory for that compromise. Like we saw Israel going through that crazy compromises, that the little things that just kept coming in from the outside sources to the point where they were sacrificing children and worshiping idols and and just generally living a lifestyle that was pretty awful and they they didn't even realize that they were doing badly i think a lot of them literally thought they were worshiping god uh in in a good way and they found out the hard way that no no absolutely not you weren't uh so Get out of Babylon. That that will be a theme that will come back to us. Come out of Babylon. Well, we get into uh, verse 8. talks about the Lord of hosts sent to the nation who plundered Judah and Israel. Um, I might have to pull that up and look at it directly here. Because, but because um, I have notes here. Lord of hosts, are we, are we talking about Jesus? I think possibly he's sent. Sent by who? The Father to the nations who plundered Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, he's okay. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Uh, For surely I will shake my hand against them and they shall become spoiled for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So there's an interesting back and forth there of who the Lord of hosts is. Yeah, the Lord of hosts is talking. 
he sent me, and um, we're never given a great uh, exactly who the he is, but that was interesting to me because it's kind of felt to me like this was the father sent Jesus to these nations, like like this is a foretelling for Zacharias. I mean, this is a foretelling of what will happen because he says, behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. Many nations shall become my people. Uh, the Lord will take possession of Judah. And so to me, I think this is a prophetic, this was a prophetic message uh, telling us, telling Zechariah, the people of the time, God is going to send this emissary, which we know now as Jesus, as Christ. And his message will get to, to everyone. It will go out to the Gentiles, which is something that the Israelites it didn't even it didn't even register with them you know that these outside countries could actually worship their god and follow along too so that was a i thought that was a pretty cool just this tiny little blurb in chapter two yeah i like that too and then i noticed that verse 10 says sing and rejoice O daughter of zion for lo i come and i will dwell in the midst of thee and so at first i was thinking in terms of his original intention, of course, uh, was that they should be this light to the world. But then, if you think about it, Jesus did come and dwell in the midst of them. And so he literally came, I will come and dwell in the midst of thee. And he, you know, he was actually in Jerusalem. He was in the temple teaching. And, um, and so that's an interesting fulfillment of prophecy in my mind. I was curious if you guys thought the same thing. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think it's absolutely talking about Jesus, and and surely, surely, some any people who had been studying the prophets, and when Jesus was was there, or at least you know maybe it's just like us with hindsight, we look back and we go, ah, of course, yes, that's exactly was that that what that was talking about. Uh, it, it just it has to be. I don't know what else it could be. Um, mm-hmm. So it's always it's always fascinating when you come across these little messianic messages given to. Uh, prophets in the Old Testament, and you can think down through, you know, hundreds or thousands t- sometimes of years where these messages are given beforehand for encouragement, for reassurance, because, you know, of course, this is coming right after don't don't compromise. And then because look, look what's going to happen. Look what I'm well, going to do. And then look at verse 11 and many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. And so, again, his his original purpose was that people would come, and some did. Like, there were people who had joined themselves to the Jewish people. There was an, an area of the temple where, you know, Gentiles could worship the living God, etc. But think about how many nations, like, you know, I'm Irish and Welsh and Sioux Indian, right? And And you guys are, I mean, is anybody in our group actually Jewish? No. Um, but we're, but we're joined to Israel. We are permanently joined to the God, the living God that they worshiped. And to me, that verse 11 is so interesting. I love these passages that say things about the fact that many will come, many will come and be joined to the Lord. Um, cause I think that's me, that's my family. Who's like, wait, I love God, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and so I, I those stand out to me, those ones that say that we will come. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it, it's really great stuff. So uh, I thought everything that Amy was thinking. I love passages that stand out like that, and 
it reminded me of some texts from Isaiah. So mm -hmm. in Isaiah 42, 6, it says, I will make you, so he's talking to Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Mm, love right? That is, that is not an exclusive thing. Right. And then in Isaiah 49, it says, you are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentile. Like these are, this is, this is in Isaiah, Isaiah 42 and 49. Like he's talking to his people and right. saying, basically, you are a city on the hill. Go ye unto all the world and make disciples. Right. Is any of this familiar? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, that's what it was supposed to be originally. And if the world would have gotten itself together at any point to where it was a, a cohesive whole, you know, Jesus could have come back at any time. And I'm, you know, I'm glad that it hasn't because then I get to live and I get to make that choice. But isn't it strange how frail human nature is that it has taken generations and generations and generations of God simply trying to get his love out to the world and that those who are entrusted with his love have a tendency to hoard it as if it's specific to them rather than showering the, the earth with it. Well, yeah, because it is it was interesting when it came down to Jesus time and and, you know, you get Paul bringing gentiles into the temple and the people flip out about it and you see here these things was like no these people are supposed to be joined in they're supposed to be a part of this the the whole concept was always supposed to be that this would spread out from jerusalem and become an all-encompassing all-welcoming thing we're not an exclusive club we're supposed to be bringing these people in that you wouldn't necessarily expect here there were some books written in like the 70s by a guy named Francis Schaefer. And Francis Schaefer was a, a pastor, I think in Los Angeles, um, anyway, somewhere in the U.S. And he was um, so welcoming, so kind that all these street people started coming into the church. And there was kind of an outcry because because people were like, but those people <laughs> are high and they're dirty and they're, you know, yada, yada. And Francis Schaefer's response was always, um, these are God's children. And, and that's the attitude that we have to embrace. Like we have to stop thinking of, of people outside as like the unclean. I mean, that's exactly the fault that the, that the, you know, the original Israel had. And we have to look at every, every, every person as a precious child of God. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, I, I, there's times, there's times I have to admit, I struggle with it. You see somebody coming in new and you don't you don't know them and you can tell they're living a little rough and uh, you know mm -hmm. there's that there's that temptation to not want to engage and as an introvert that temptation is very very strong with me um uh, but i have to be reminded no that is like you said that is a child of god and i i heard a I heard a quote on the radio oh it's been half a year ago now but it keeps coming to my mind Whenever I find myself in one of those situations and the quote goes like this, you have never looked into the eyes of someone who God does not love just as much as he loves you. Yeah. Yeah. That person on the side of the road who's an absolute mess, right? 
the guys in the, you know, the guys that you see all over social media that get filmed now committing crimes, horrible atrocities, the way people are treating each other. You know, the I, I saw somebody had filmed and posted online a cat fight where a couple of girls had grabbed their mail carrier and beat her. Why? Because in the mail that day were not the stimulus checks from the government that they were waiting for. Like this is is the level that humanity has been reduced to, you know, and that mail carrier, she tried to hold her own, but they literally ganged up on her. One's got a hold of her hair and their, I mean, it was, it was insane behavior. Those are children of God. God loves them just as much as he loves you. He came and died for those people. And this is why the earth needs a savior. Humanity in its fallen form is real gross. Yeah, the whole the whole world, the whole world needs God, needs Jesus. Jesus and I know we're way off track here from Zechariah, and honestly, we're not making very good time through these chapters. But <laughs> I just the idea of the measuring line, you know, this plumb line with which you with which you measure someone's relationship, like that, yeah. to me, is symbolic of the final judgment that. Every single one of us faces in Hebrews. Where is it? Hebrews. Hang on. Let me look it up. Hebrews. I think it's 419. This is a really good verse. Um, And this um, this really jumped out at me a few weeks ago when I read it. And this is this is kind of where this is where all of us end up. Like we all at some point, we're all the ones with the measuring line being held up to us. And we're the ones who God offers the wall of fire. Like you are to be an unwalled city because I will be your wall, right? And um, I'm going to have to find it. I'm going to have to find this text. It's really good. Let me just look for it here for a second. It's Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And that applies to nations and the way we've conducted ourselves and communities and the way we've conducted ourselves and individuals and the way we've conducted ourselves. And this passage that we're reading in Zechariah, it's it's basically Israel's the one in the spotlight at that moment. But boy, if that doesn't make me stop and think of myself in the spotlight, I don't know what does. We can definitely personalize these these. Uh these texts as well as apply them in a broad in a broad sense all righty well we had intended to discuss four more chapters this week but as sometimes happens with scripture you just uh you just get wrapped up in the fascinating aspects of it and so i think that's probably where we, well that's not probably i think that's where we will uh, stop for this week and we will pick up next week with zechariah chapter three and um, so I hope that our listeners will uh, continue studying that chapter. I find chapter three very, very, I found it very interesting. I found it uh, I, kind of a little mind-blowing to me. But um, anyway, we will pick up next time with Zechariah chapter three. And so while you are waiting for us, you could be reading that. Uh, please remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can look us up on Facebook. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we can reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.